Du lytter til Fremtidens Næringsliv, en podcast av UN Global Compact og Abelia. Welcome to the future of business, the podcast of Abelia and UN Global Compact. Today we have a very special guest. Directly in from World Economic Forum in Davos, we have Michael Hughes. You are the UN coordinator or the UN relation guy at Accenture. Very pleased to have you here. Welcome. Thank you guys very much for having me. Excited for the discussion today. So today we have actually two topics. So obviously what's going on in, in the WEF, you know, Davos and all of that, we are going to do that as well as a huge uh, report uh, responses from 2600 top leaders CEOs around the world actually the largest CEO study of the global south ever I understand right that's correct yes we had over 2600 CEOs participate in this year's UN Global Compact Accenture CEO study which is two and a half times our historical average and to your point it is the largest participation rate we've seen from the global south so we really got to hear a diverse set of voices this year yeah. gave us really a rich set of insights that we were able to share today and what is the big picture what is the one sentence about this uh, study that sustainability is the core of resilience so as ceos have navigated all the various shocks we've all lived through over the last two to three years from the pandemic to inflation to covid um, to the number of different challenges sustainability has become the way in which they're addressing that and really trying to withstand some of those different shocks to the system so being more aggressive on their sustainability strategies thinking through different products and services and really trying to make sure they're supporting their people as they navigate this somewhat challenging world because i heard you just on the stage and you you said that like or the study shows that there are like 10 major challenges that how how, how many of there were many co- companies that actually said these 10 are all challenges for us right Correct. Over 90% of the participants felt they were dealing with 10 or more at one point in time, from talent scarcity to inflation um, to the climate change. They're feeling the impacts of that today. So they're dealing with all of this all at once. And um, one of our CEOs during the discussion reflected that these challenges don't go away. Like we continue, the list just gets longer and longer. So this is sort of the new normal they're having to navigate. Yeah, so, so in order to give a response to both uh, these crises and the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, mm-hmm. you're saying that we need to build uh, resilient or sustainable uh, value chains. And uh, yeah, because you used a bit of time on the value chain perspective, right? We usually call it value chain addiction yeah. in your global yeah. corporate <laughs> way. But uh, why don't you elaborate a bit on, on, on that? Yeah, I think because so much of what happens in sustainability happens in those value chains or those supply chains. As we think about small and medium enterprises all around the world who are navigating all sorts of challenges, you know, a lot of sustainability progress needs to happen there as we think through, you know, it can't just be large multinationals. We have to engage those tier one, tier two, three, four suppliers in this work if we're going to make the kind of progress that needs to happen. You know, to the commentary we were discussing this morning. We're about halfway through on the SDGs, but we are not halfway through in terms of actually achieving them. We've got a long way to go as we think through the road to 2030. So trying to tackle that really requires us to mobilize these enormously complex value chains and really engage those various suppliers. Yesterday I was in the in the Norwegian dinner that happens every year here. At yeah. the, the, and Birgi Brende, the president yeah. of the World Economic Forum, was there as well. And, mm-hmm. and he pointed to, um, you know, the sort of the talk of the day is, of course, global uh, trade. You know, and and uh, the difference he said between, uh, you know, w- what is globalization really about? It is about that you actually do 
um, you know, commerce and trade with your non-allies, mm -hmm. right? Your so the U.S. is doing a lot of trade with China, yes. which would never have happened during the the Cold War, right? Right. Um, and so the I think there was the fourth um, area of ch challenge in the study is trade regulations, and six to seven percent of the the CEOs were saying that either a high impact or a moderate impact. On you know on their ability to deliver on the SDGs on the sustainability perspective. So, what what is your take on this? I mean, how how do you see trade and sustainability now working together? You already mentioned the value chains, but just I mean, just understand because I think this is the big topic and that this year's uh, WEF. Yeah, it's been interesting. So yeah, the big theme for WEF this year is cooperation in a fragmented world, and I think we've seen that for the private sector where. The historical norms have been really fragmented. So your traditional suppliers or the traditional stability you might have seen from governance is just no longer the norm. They're being racked by geopolitical instability and all sorts of other shocks. And so I think what they're trying to do is make sure, as we think about, to your point, trade, um, trying to diversify their sources of suppliers, trying to scenario plan for like what happens if there's a geopolitical crisis or a climate crisis, trying to think through some backup options. So duplicating supply chains or diversifying their set of stakeholders to try and mitigate some of those challenges. But trade continues to be quite challenged from supply chain disruptions and inflation and just geopolitical tensions that continue to exist. But the message we heard from business leaders is we continue to fight through this. We're still investing in sustainability. You know, we have this short-term disruption but the long-term horizon, like this is just a blip and an, a long curve towards a more sustainable future. How are we, I mean, they are all saying that we are not delivering on the on the sustainable level goals, but we do believe that we can do it, right? That's what I read out. <laughs> yep. and I was like, okay, that's <laughs> exactly. hopeful. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I noticed one point in the, uh, in the presentation that you also mentioned now while you were on stage. And so we see from 2021... 2022, an increase from 30 to 50 percent uh, of the companies saying that politicians are extremely important. <laughs> Correct. Uh, how come? I mean, trade regulations, or did you get an in? Why? Why do you think they are saying that? Because uh, it was quite stable in the years uh, in mm -hmm. uh, before that, right? Yes. And then suddenly it's jumping 20 percent in one year. Uh, is it the Ukraine crisis? What's your take on this? Yeah, and to your point, yeah, the stakeholder map for us, we got, this program goes back over 15 years. So traditionally it had been consumers were always at the top, followed by employees, um, and then it's kind of been a battle for the next few slots. But to your point, governments have really risen up in terms of influence, and I think Ukraine is certainly an important one where they required a lot of coordination between the private sector and the public sector in terms of how they respond to that in terms of providing aid or some of the businesses withdrew from Russia as a response. So I think the engagement from the private sector with governments has had to be a lot closer in the last few months. And even if we think back to the pandemic where we've had coordination with the life sciences sector around vaccines, I think that bridge is getting closer and closer. Um, and so I think we've seen them rise as an influencing stakeholder. Um, and hopefully that continues because ultimately they have, we have to work in synergy, the private sector and the public sector to achieve these, the SDGs and kind of our broader sustainability aims. And and what are they asking the politicians to do? Because uh, so you mentioned carbon pricing as one of the important mm -hmm. thing. I mean, challenging yeah. <laughs> thing. <laughs> to say we, the least. Yeah, we in the middle of the IRA. I mean, mm -hmm. not, not the the Irish one, but yeah. the, the US one. Uh, we we obviously see that there is a. Um, I think that the, the Europe has decided to do pricing right mm -hmm. and and the regulations, while the US has focused more on the incentives. 
which creates potentially a challenge between allies. Yeah. And if we are now uh, during the 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 wife talking about the friend friends chasing, I understand. So <laughs> you know, do only negotiations with. Uh, with friends and and the NATO Secretary General saying uh, trade is security policy. Um, how I mean, wh how does this look like? I mean, in this picture. So I think what we're trying to do with the with the policymaker ask is make sure we're leveling the playing field as best we can. Again, we we cannot dictate to governments, but I think we're trying to send a message from the private sector, like this is what we need to achieve something. We should all be on the same page about. Yeah, when you say leveling the playing field, it means everybody has the same um, condition, business condition, the same level, you mean, right? Operating by the same set of rules, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Because um, it allows companies to innovate more equally across the world so that we can solve some of these really tricky problems. I don't think we've solved a lot of the issues that we need to in order to achieve the SDGs. We still need some new technology. We still need different business models. So we need to give them that playing field. But right now, to your point, we've got several different markets around the world with different regulations, different reporting standards. And that puts a lot of burden and resources that could be used elsewhere uh, from the private sector. So I think if we can make the world a little bit simpler from a sustainability policy perspective, that would help us all. Yes, yeah, so it's really about coordination and cooperation mm -hmm. and trying to sort of... Because now I see that um, uh, EU is now in a way responding, mm -hmm. right? And saying that, oh, we're going to prolong some of the you know, some of the incentives we put in there that was supposed to be short-term mm -hmm. and not a long-term. Yeah. So so where do you see that this is going uh, from an extension point of view? I mean... So, yeah, I think we're seeing different tacks taken by different governments around the world. So some are using more of the carrot method uh, where we see a lot more of the incentives focus uh, where I think sometimes it's just the political realities. You know, I don't fault anyone for trying. As long as we're trying to make the right steps, um, I think... As an American, you always want to see more action from our government, um, but I think this is some of the biggest investments we've seen in sustainability um, from our government in quite a long time. Certainly the European Union has made some more aggressive moves, um, certainly more with the stick in the regulatory side. And I think part of it is we need to test these different methodologies and see what really works in the market. Uh, I think we suffer too often from like a singular point of view and singular policy perspective, but we should be trying different ones to see which really mobilizes the different sectors of the economy to take things forward. So, And just to clarify, I mean, like, uh, of course, the UN Global Compact, we appreciate and we do believe this is the right move to put more money into it and more regulations, of course. of course. But we just need to get it right. Yes. Yeah, you need to figure out which regulatory mechanisms work the, the most effectively, because I think we need to be moving faster and at greater scale. So which regulations can we deploy to actually advance this agenda more quickly? Um, so I think we've we still got to figure out. We know some of them, like science-based targets, are very helpful from a climate perspective, driving towards a very clear, measurable goal. Um, I think in some other areas, we need a slightly different tact, or we need to figure out exactly what our goal is. I think we, you know, like it's it's easy to point to the politicians, isn't it? Mm -hmm, always, well, you know. <laughs> but what we've seen in these studies actually also that the companies themselves are pointing to themselves because we are seeing the CEO now in the last ten years going, you know, it's a quite extensive um, increase in the amount of CEOs that see it as their role to push sustainability internally in the companies, right? Exactly. Yeah, we saw a 15 percentage jump in terms of CEOs who view it as core to their role to really make sure they're advancing sustainability in their organization. So nearly every CEO, I think it's 98%, feels like it's central. And that stems from, I think, a rise of stakeholder pressure from not only the traditional groups of customers and employees, but we see it from the investor and cap capital markets community where they're asking a lot more questions about climate risk, about how they're investing in sustainability. 
but also you're seeing it from governments too. The movement towards regulation and kind of ESG disclosures has helped too. So they, they get asked about it a lot more. That was something that came through very clearly in our interviews is one CEO said, I don't go a single day anymore without talking about sustainability. It's what we have called the, the regulation tsunami. Yeah. You, know, it's just, you know, the wave is coming. So yeah. You need to be on it, right? Exactly. Uh, and and uh, I think that is a, it's, it's a very valid point. And we, we're always coming back to how do we meet this uh, in, in WEF term, the poly mm-hmm. crisis, right? Yeah. Like the, all the crisis uh, hitting at the same time. Exactly. Um, but perhaps just to end off here, um, what are the specific things they're mentioning that they, need, they are doing in their companies? Because I saw you had a slide with all this colorful, <laughs> very consultant-like slide. Yeah. Uh, but why don't you just give us a couple of sort of uh, ideas of what they're saying that they are using a lot of time on now before we... We are coming to an end of this podcast episode. Yeah, I think there there are two main things I'd highlight. Um, One is probably more on the workforce side of things. So the top resilience action that every company is taking um, is around skilling and upskilling of their workforce. So as we think about the need for not only sustainability talent, but new technology talent, um, and just people who are familiar with these various subject matters, Um, You have to be providing them the skills and kind of keeping them continually trained, especially as we do this green transition away from certain industries to new ones. And we can't leave all those workers behind. So I think it was 74 percent of CEOs are investing in reskilling or upskilling of the workforce. And I think there's been a very heavy focus on people this year and a lot of the data. The other piece I would say is to going back to our discussion around value chains. People are really trying to figure out where is the data within there so that they can make better decisions. I don't think any company has really figured out how to master full visibility of their value chains, but companies are really trying, not only from a social perspective to monitor human rights, but also from a climate perspective to try and accurately account for carbon emissions. So I would say those two are probably our big focus areas um, within the report is we have a very specific focus around workforce as well as within the supply chain. I think that's where we see a lot of the resiliency actions taking place. And if you want to, if you take out something, what you personally said that, wow, this is amazing or this is challenging, or what would that be? So I think my favorite insight, um, and I shared this earlier, was one that we didn't actually plan to hear about. Um, it was one that came up more organically in the discussions we had in our interviews. Uh, we interviewed over 130 CEOs for about an hour, and the concept of equity came up really unprompted from a lot of them around, given the widening social inequalities we're seeing around the world and sometimes the lack of progress that in terms of closing the... Well, when you're saying equity, you're talking about inequalities, right? You're not talking about economical equity, but people equity side or... Correct, yeah. Yeah, social yeah. inequities. Um, yeah, so yeah. trying to think through how we address those as a, as a society. And I think that's a role that has historically not been one for business, but CEOs felt increasingly the need to step in on these various issues, particularly industries like food, healthcare, um, energy, where those are really essential services for a lot of individuals. And they really had to think through, how do we make sure those are equitably available to the various groups within society? Uh, yeah, so they are talking about society, not only their own employees mm-hmm. in this case. or mm-hmm. Broadly, like the communities in which they operate. Um, the example we gave this morning was around a pharmaceutical company who was trying to make sure that their clinical trials reflected the communities in which that medicine would ultimately be used. So trying to make sure that not only are those services designed for the right communities, but that they are available. So energy or food, um, you know, we have a lot of inflationary challenges in a lot of economies right now. 
where energy is becoming unaffordable for a lot of families. And so how do we make sure that that is still a ready available resource for them? So I think that was one thing that really jumped out that we had not planned on hearing, yeah. uh, but it was a theme I really think I was heartened to hear that people are really thinking about some of those social issues and trying to find creative ways to solve them. That is indeed another podcast, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> can you tell us where can we find the study? Uh, it's online, it's in paper, but how can the listeners actually get and get more, more details and all the nice shots and colorful ones? Of course, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it'll be available both on the UN Global Compact website as well as the Accenture website. And we also will have the discussion from earlier today um, here in Davos on YouTube. Uh, on the UN Global Compact channel. So it'll be available online. And if you have any questions or want any specific data points, um, the contact information is available on those pages. And we're happy to share it with the world because it's ultimately, it's meant to be everyone's study, not just ours. Uh, so we hope people use it and really try and take action. And if you're listening to this, you can find the podcast in uh, the podcast uh the app you use, Fremtidens uh, Næringsliv. It is in Norwegian and English in this case. Uh, and of course also fremtidensnæringsliv.no um, and we will uh, launch it also in the social media when the time comes. So Michael Hughes, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you and uh, lead in Accenture. My name is Kim Gabrieli. I'm the CEO of UN Global Compact Norway and with that we just say thank you so much to all the listeners joining in today. Thank you very much.